Scripture reading today is taken from Romans chapter 9, verses 30 to 33. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They were stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is God's word. Thank you. Thank you for reading God's word for us. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that as we hear your word, that you prepare our hearts and grant that your Holy Spirit give us understanding and insight so that we may see our sins and our desperate need for forgiveness more clearly, so that we may love Jesus Christ and His gospel more dearly, so that we may follow after you, our Lord and Father, more nearly. We pray that your Holy Spirit will use your word to convict and change us so that we'll grow to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, Amen. Talk about a turnaround. A boy goes from 263rd position to first in a foot race. A primary school boy running in a foot race in Kasako City, Okayama Prefecture, Japan, came from being dead last to being announced as the winner of the race. So how does one go from being 263rd position to being first in a three-kilometer race? Well, it turns out that the first 262 children took a wrong turn halfway through the course. Okay? And they ended up running only two kilometers of this three-kilometer race. And the child who came in last place, he was accompanied by events officials and was directed to the right course. In the end, the first 262 children to finish the race, they were all disqualified. And the last place, 263rd child, he was presented with the first place award. One reaction to the child's win from the internet didn't anyone notice during the race that they had gone the wrong way? My friends, this same question could be asked of Israel. They were pursuing righteousness, yet they failed to attain it. Didn't anyone notice that in pursuing a right relationship with God, they had gone the wrong way? Beloved friends, this is a sobering question, one that determines where we will spend our eternity. In our pursuit 
of a right relationship with God, are we going the wrong way? Maybe you have friends visiting with us who are undecided about God. And I'm glad that you are with us today. And I ask that you give us a listen to what we are talking about today. Perhaps in trying to talk about how Christians pursue a right relationship with God, some of your friends may have given you a wrong misunderstanding. Sorry, a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding of how Christian believers, believers can be in a right relationship with God. In our pursuit of a right relationship with God, there is a right way to attain it. And it's not by trying hard at religious achievements. Paul tells us how to attain this right relationship in Romans 9, 30-33. So turn with me to this passage of Scripture as we look at this, at this this morning. We are only looking at four verses this morning. These four verses are framed by two questions. What shall we say then in verse 30 and why in verse 32? And these four verses answer these two questions. And do you observe what themes are repeated in these verses? Look with me to these four verses. Righteousness is repeated three times, twice in verse 30 and once in verse 31. Righteousness is also the subject of the pronoun it in verse 30, as in they have attained it, that is righteousness. So my friends, what is righteousness? Righteousness can describe the character of God. It can mean being morally up, upright. However, righteousness is used here to mean being right with God or being justified or declared righteous. But righteousness also has a relationship component. It also implies being in a right relationship with God. The other significant theme repeated is law. Law is repeated twice in verse 31. Law is also twice the subject of the pronoun it in verse 32. And law here refers to the law of Moses. It means God's commandments. So these four verses answers two questions and these answers are related to righteousness and law. So let's look at the verse. In verse 30, Paul writes, What shall we say then? So what does Paul mean when he asks, what shall we say then? To understand this question, we need to look at the verses in chapter 9 that came before. Remember what Eugene preached the previous week? Chapter 9 to 11 of Romans answers the question, has God's word failed? And this is especially relevant in the light of many of Paul's fellow Israelites. They have rejected God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And what was Paul's answer? Paul's answer is no. God's word has not failed. God keeps his promises even to Israel. And ch chapter 9 of Romans explains God's sovereign mercy and compassion. God will have mercy on whom he has mercy and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. 9.15 Salvation depends on God's sovereign mercy and does not depend on human will or effort. If this is true, then this begs the question, what shall we say then? Or, if being right with God is by God's 
sovereign mercy, then does it mean I don't have any responsibility? You know, before I, I became a pastor, or before I answered God's call to be a pastor, I was a teacher in a secondary school. You know, I had a few students who struggled with passing their exams. And I had to work with them to take responsibility of their own studies. And I had to work with them to come up with a plan to revise for the coming exams. You know, I remember one student, a cheeky, witty student saying to me, Cher, why should I study for my exam? I study, also fail. I don't study, also fail. So why should I take responsibility to study? Sure, fail one. It's not my fault, right? Exam so hard. So don't need to study, law. Okay? You, you hear my, my student? He was trying to push off his responsibility to study. And you can almost imagine, after hearing from Paul in chapter 9, someone saying similar words. If being right with God is by God's sovereign mercy, then it's not my fault, right? I don't have any responsibility for it. But Paul's answer in verse second half of verse 30, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that will lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Paul tells us we do have responsibility. And he goes on to explain it. The Gentiles did not have a full picture of righteousness as did the Israelites. They did not have the law of Moses. They did not have all the religious privileges of Israel. Sure, some of them had a sense of God in their conscience, as Paul told us in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. But they did not follow their conscience. They pursue selfishness and worldly pleasure instead of righteousness. They were not interested in a right relationship with the God of Israel. And this is true also of modern unbelievers. But this is where the upside-down nature of the situation comes in. The Gentiles who live such wicked lives, they were more open to the gospel. They who did not initially pursue righteousness, they had attained righteousness. And the words pursue and attain here in this verse carries the imagery of a road race. Pursue means to go hard after something with the intent of catching it. Attain means to catch up with it or to win it. So the Gentiles were in, not in a race to go hard after righteousness, but they had won righteousness instead. They received a righteousness that is by faith. They received a right standing with God by faith in Christ. They were a right relationship with God by means of their trusting in the promise of God that through Jesus Christ's work on the cross, His dying for the forgiveness of our sins, His being raised from the dead for our eternal life, when the Gentiles had faith in this gospel, this good news that God offered, they attained righteousness. What about Israel or the Jews? They pursued a law that will lead to righteousness, but they did not succeed in reaching that law. 
The Jews, on the other hand, they had a deep awareness that they needed righteousness to go before God. They had all the religious privileges. They had the law of Moses. They went hard after the law. They energetically, zealously pursued the law for righteousness. However, they did not attain to what the law demanded and fell short of reaching the goal. Why? They did not fully obey what the law required. So they, they did not succeed in reaching the law. Because to be righteous before God, they needed to perfectly obey every single point of the law, which they could not. Like most of the Japanese children in the primary school food race, they could not, they did not complete the full three-kilometer race. They could not attain righteousness because they could not obey everything God has commanded in the law. My friends, do not think that you can be right with God by pursuing the law, by pursuing religious practices. Obeying rules and regulations cannot save us. Enthusiasm and zealousness in service cannot save us. We cannot fully obey every part of God's commandments. Only trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ can save us. Many of my Christian friends might now say to me, you know, I know, I know, we are saved by faith in Christ. We start the Christian life by faith. But my friends, our hearts tend towards self-righteousness. We can be saved, through grace, saved by grace through faith in Christ. But our natural sinful tendencies is that we gravitate towards living the Christian life by our efforts at rule-keeping. How can we know when we fall again into a rules-based approach to Christianity? When we care more about keeping rules than stewarding grace, we judge a newcomer by his or her behaviour rather than realising his or her need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we care more about conformity than pursuing Christ-likeness, we quarrel over dress codes rather than extending gospel hospitality to others. When we care more about religious performances rather than the gospel-motivated heart matters, we point out typos and improvements in the PowerPoint slides rather than rejoicing that forgiveness was extended and received. Why have I spent time on this? It's because, my beloved, our lives, how we live as Christians in the church, give witness to a watching world. Is Christianity all about rule-keeping? Or is it about grace and faith? What are we telling them? We also have a responsibility to respond to the gospel. Romans 9 starts by telling us about God's sovereign mercy and compassion. God, as the supreme king, has the right to show mercy and compassion on whom he wants. And chapter 9 ends telling us that we have a responsibility to respond to Jesus Christ. My friends, if you are a careful reader of Scripture, you realise that the Scripture here holds out two apparently contradictory truths as both 
being true. God's sovereignty and human responsibility are both affirmed. And we also see this in the realm of physics, right? So those of you who studied secondary school physics, remember this. Light is both a particle and a wave. They can be two things, two truths at the same time. Scripture tells us God's sovereignty and human responsibility both exist together. It is in God's word. He has told us so. So verses 30 to 31 pushes the responsibility back to human beings. We are held responsible for our response. What this means is that you and I are responsible for putting our faith in Jesus Christ. If we do not, we are still in our sin and face God's just judgment. If we do put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will attain a righteousness that is by faith. So my non-Christian friends who are here today, you are responsible for how you respond. How are we then to respond? It's helpful for us then to look at verses 32 to 33 to see how we are to respond. Because we see there, Paul gives answer to why Israel failed. And he tells us how then can we attain righteousness and be in a right relationship with God. Verse 32 to 33. Why did Israel fail? This is Paul's second question. And we see his answers in verses 32 to 33. Verse 32. Why? Because they, here meaning Israel, did not pursue it, meaning the law, by faith, but as if the law were to be pursued based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In verse 32, Paul continues by asking, why is it that Israel did not attain righteousness? Israel did not attain the law's righteousness because they pursued the law not by faith, but as if it was based on works. Firstly, I want to be careful here. The point here is not that the law is deficient or lacking. Instead, Paul faults Israel for the way and the manner in which they approach the law. It is not the law, but how Israel pursued the law. What was wrong was the way they pursued the law. That is as if it was based on works, so as to establish their own righteousness. So what happened? Israel pursued the law in a way that kind of sought to work their own way, basing it on their own achievements into a right relationship with God. They pursued a wrong way to be right. If they pursued the law in faith, what will happen? They will believe in Christ. Since the end of the law pointed to Christ, we see this in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, which Ian is going to preach next week. Okay? They will realize that they would never perfectly obey the law. And this will have pointed them for the need for righteousness provided by Jesus Christ. Paul tells us at the end of verse 22 that Israel have stumbled over the stumbling stone. The stone is Christ, as we'll see in verse 32, 33. 
the reason Israel fell on the stumbling stone is it's because they failed to exercise, to place their faith in Christ. Instead, they were trying to achieve their own righteousness by works. The Jews heard the gospel and rejected it and focused on achieving instead of believing. Why do people stumble over Jesus? Because faith in Jesus requires that we lay down any idea of self-righteousness and accept Jesus' righteousness. He, Christ demands that we humble ourselves before we can raise up, before we can be raised up. You know, Jesus himself, my friends, told this story that illustrates this very point. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation here, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. This story that Jesus told was told to those who thought that they could be right with God through their own efforts at achieving righteousness. And what did Jesus say? Jesus tells us that one sign of those who trust on their own self-righteousness is that they look down on everyone else. I mean, if you're so full of your own self-righteousness, all you care about is your own self-righteousness, you, know, you look down on everyone else. You think that everyone is less Christian than you. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. And if you know uh, how Pharisees have been described, they are known to pursue the law zealously. And the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like the tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. Do you hear that? I, I, I see many of you cringing, almost embarrassed to hear this. He was boasting in front of God of how he had achieved righteousness through keeping God's commands. Zealousness in service does not make a person a Christian if service in church is to make me look good. But, but, the tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Do you see that, my friends? The tax collector, on the other hand, recognized his sinfulness, recognized his inability to attain righteousness by keeping the law. He recognized that he brought nothing to God except his desperate need. He entrusted himself to God, trusting in the mercy of God. And Jesus, in a commentary to this story, what did Jesus tell us? I tell you that this sinner meaning tax collector, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Only those who humble themselves, recognizing that they could not by their own works achieve righteousness before God, and instead turning to trust in the mercy of God, will be declared righteous before God 
That's what justified means. Declared righteous before God. By stooping in humility, would they then be raised to a right relationship with God? My friends, isn't this so counter-cultural? Our Singapore culture enshrines meritocracy. Recognition and rewards are given to the person who achieves, who achieves merit. But what does the gospel tell us instead? The gospel tells us instead that those who humbly acknowledge that they can achieve nothing but place their faith in Jesus Christ, they will receive the reward of Jesus' righteousness. In verse 33, Paul quotes from two verses from Isaiah. The first is from Isaiah 8.14. Let me read the, the quotation in Isaiah for us. And he will become a century and a stone of offence and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Israel. In its context in Isaiah 8, this verse is saying that God himself will be both a century and a stumbling stone to Israel. This verse predicts the rejection of Christ by Israel. The other verse Paul cites is from Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be put in haste. Again, in its context in Isaiah 28, God himself is God himself who has laid a foundation stone in Zion. And whoever believes in, in this stone, believes in him, will not be in haste. And our way to put it is they will not be nervous because that sure foundation embodied in Jesus Christ is the good news that God saves, that no one else can save us except God. So Paul, what Paul does is he uses both Isaiah's citation in verse 33 to point to God as the one who has appointed the stone over which the Jews will fall and be scandalized. However, those who trust in God will find Him to be a shelter and security in the midst of judgment. But those who place their trust elsewhere, they will face God's judgment. What does Paul tell us in verse 33? He tells us that the stone is Jesus Christ. And the one who believes in Christ will not be put to shame. What this means is this, my friends. It means that the person who puts his faith in Jesus Christ will be vindicated, will be declared not guilty in that final day of judgment. My friends, this good news is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you need not be in haste. Or to use a, a Singaporean term, you need not be anxious or kanjong. You need, not be you need not fear being put to shame because on the end day judgment, you will be declared not guilty. You will stand righteous before God, Christ's righteousness clothing you. You will be spared God's anger when He judges sin. You can rest confident in this promise that you will not be put to shame. My friends, no one can be right with God apart from submitting to Jesus Christ with the obedience of faith. Do not be like Israel. They have pursued the law as if it was based on works. 
They have sought to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to faith in Jesus Christ because, for their righteousness. Because of their pride, they have pursued the wrong way to be right with God. As Pastor Theologian Thomas Schreiner reminds us, the quote is in your ministry guide, it's precisely that they, Israel, desired to achieve their own righteousness that they failed to believe in Christ. For believing in Christ gives all glory to God. While observing the law means that glory and praise accrue to human beings. So my friends, humble yourself and give all glory to God. Trust in Jesus Christ as the means of attaining a right relationship with God. We can be only right with God, not by our religious works, but by faith in Christ. We pursue righteousness by submitting, by bending our knee in faith to Christ our King and not by a self-religious, self-righteous religious efforts. You know, my friends, this message has been a difficult message for me to preach. I've shared my conversion story with some of you before. So some of you heard my conversion story. Before I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I was very much like the lost older brother in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. I, trust, I really trusted in my self-righteousness. I thought I was quite morally upright. I was a morally upright person. I didn't see a need for me to trust in Jesus Christ. That was until I was confronted by the holiness of God. And I realized that not only could I not obey all of God's command, but my heart was self-centered and not, I was not right with God. I repented of my self-righteousness and turned to faith in Jesus Christ. So even right now, even right now, I confess, I am a recovering, self-righteous older brother. I continue to measure my own religious, uh, how mature I am in my, as a Christian by my religious effort. I continue to measure others by their religious effort. I that's why I need to continue to repent. I continue need to need to remind myself of the gospel, of my need for Jesus Christ, the rock of salvation. So even as I share some of the scripture-driven applications, it is from one sinner, one struggling self-religious, self-righteous sinner to another. Firstly, to a Christian who tends to trust in his own achievements to secure his standing before God, examine your heart for self-righteousness. And one of the symptoms is the presence of pride. You're prone to condemning others and prone to looking down on them as being less Christian as you. It could be the way they dress, the way they speak, whether how actively they involve in church. You're prone to looking down on others. You measure others and look down on them and think that they are less Christian than you. But my friends, we are all sinners coming on level ground before God through faith in Jesus Christ. So where is the grounds for our boasting? Repent of your pride and pursue humility. Secondly, to the Christians who struggle with guilt and self-condemnation, I say to you again, examine your heart for self-righteousness. 
Why? Because the root cause is the same, though the expression of it is different. Because one symptom of, is the presence of self-pity. And if you look at self-pity, self-pity is actually the flip side of the coin from pride. If you measure your standing with God based on your achievements, then the lack of achievements will tempt you to self-pity, will force you into self-pity. So check your heart for self-pity. Actually, you're, being, uh, you're just uh, following a self-righteous approach to God. But my friends, the good news is that we really have the assurance that we have no shame and no haste. Our standing with God is secure. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, Christ's righteousness has already secured our right relationship with God. So repent from your self-pity and pursue gratitude for the gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Lastly, I speak to all of us as church. Let us pursue gracious humility in our interactions, stewarding the gospel in our conversations. And how do we do that? I urge you, my beloved friends, encourage one another to pursue the right way to God. That is by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one way you can do this is when we share our conversion testimonies. You know, our baptism and transfer candidates, they have written their conversion stories. They tell of how God has graciously drew them to Himself through the gospel and how they have responded by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. What we do when we share our conversion stories, we tell others of, of how we place our faith in Christ. We can also weave in the gospel, share our testimonies, tell the gospel through our life stories, speak to others of how we came to faith in Jesus Christ. It would be amazing if we as church can do so more often when we meet with one another. One of the things that uh, myself and uh, uh, Jonathan Tan did when we were doing uh, meeting up with uh, a friend last week was to ask the person to tell us of their conversion story. And then we ourselves shared our conversion story. Because telling others of our conversion story is one way to encourage one another in the gospel. It's also another way of doing evangelism. Tell your family, your friends, your colleagues, your conversion stories. Pray for opportunities to do so. Offer them freedom from the crushing burden of working their way to be right with God. Offer them the gospel. That is by means of faith in Jesus Christ. They too can have a right relationship with our loving Creator and Father God. We're going to have the worship team come up in a little while. But before they lead us in the last song of response, I invite you to all to spend the next few moments in prayerful reflection with me. To my non-Christian friends with us today, you have heard the message from God's Word. I plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ, the only Saviour of all peoples. Come to be in a right relationship to your Creator. Live under the kind, gracious rule of Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ is the only way to a right relationship with God, right relationship with His world and with other people. Only, there is only one God. Turn away from Him, turning away from Him, all of us, we deserve His wrath. So humble yourself, agreeing with God that you have turned against Him by choosing your own way by rejecting God's demands. In Jesus Christ's life, death 
and resurrection. Sinners like us, we can find forgiveness. We will not be put to shame. So turn to God, believe with your heart, put your faith in Jesus Christ. My friends, if this is your desire, would you pray with me right now in your heart the very prayer of the tax collector? Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I need Jesus' help to be in a right relationship with you. My friends, if this is your prayer, I urge you to speak to any of the elders after the service. We'll be at the doors at the back or near the front of the worship hall. I speak now to my beloved Christian friends, my Christian brothers and sisters right here in this church. If we examine our hearts, we will see how prone we are to pursuing self-righteousness. We not only need to constantly turn from our sins, we also need to daily repent of our self-righteousness. So I invite you to pray along with me as we ask God for forgiveness for our self-righteousness. So my friends, pray along with me. Dear Lord Jesus, these are strong words from the scripture today. You have confronted us for being self-righteous about your grace. Forgive us when we pursue self-righteousness, looking down on others and uh, not wanting to help one another grow to Christ-likeness. Forgive us when we care more about maintaining Christian standards and don't tell others around us how we can attain a right relationship with you true faith in you. Forgive us when we don't use our freedom to serve one another in love, but rather put our consciences to sleep. Forgive us when our love for the gospel doesn't translate into love for godliness, world evangelism, and caring for widows and orphans. We praise you for your kindness that leads to repentance. God, we pray that you will change us by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Let us stand for the song of response. i hey. 
I'd like to invite you to be seated just for a moment, and I'd like all of those who were baptized this morning and those of you who are joining us by transfer to come and join me here at the front while I say just a few words to God's people at Grace. Let's come and all, all join me. Afterwards, I'm going to share the benediction, and then I want to invite all of God's people to come by and welcome all of these who have committed to obedience and following Christ in baptism and who have sensed God calling them to make grace their church home. Now, I looked for it in all of the stories, in all the testimonies, I looked for it, and not one of them said, we are joining this church because grace is so awesome. I just want to remind us constantly that we have a history of brokenness and failure and faithfulness, and yet God has shown His mercy and grace to us. God has brought these people here to this point in their life and has allowed us now to be stewards of this, His best treasure. So if you would say to these who are coming today that we commit to providing an environment where it's safe for you to grow deep in Christ, if you would say to these 10, we will love you as best we can, we will give you opportunity to exercise the gifts that God has given you, and you are now, by God's grace, a part of our faith family. If you would say that to them, would you say amen? amen. That means we are blessing God that he has allowed us to be a part of the faith story he is writing in each of you. We're grateful that he's entrusted your lives to our stewardship. We take it as our obligation to be his voice, to speak truth to you, to be his embrace, to be words of affection. So let me pray for us. God, we bless you that you have adopted each of us into your family. That when we weren't looking for you, you found us. And we thank you for these ten that you have guided in this spiritual journey to this place. And we bless you that you would trust these precious lives to your church. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you without fault and with great joy to the only begotten of the Father, be power and honor, majesty, and glory from this point forevermore. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great week in the Lord. Don't forget to come by now and welcome each of these into fellowship. If you need someone to pray with you, our elders will be at the back ready to pray with you.